I'm Q, this is Bird Road, and a wiser man than me once said that sometimes you eat the bear, and sometimes the bear eats you. Two years ago, Broward County, which is the county just north of Miami, for those of you not here in Florida, uh, it's also the second most populous county in our state. It was a subject of ridicule, scorn on election day, problems, you probably remember it on all the major news networks for uh, getting called out for bad protocols and dubious election leadership and ballot design that that a lot of people think might have tipped the scales in a Senate race between Rick Scott and Bill Nelson. Um, but suffice to say that in 2018, Broward County was in the barrel. This year, as we've already discussed a few times, uh, Miami, it's Miami's turn in the barrel. The national media is fixated on um, Joe Biden giving up such huge ground here. And uh, meanwhile, up north in Broward had huge grains, gains. Um, great progressive candidates who who had put justice and equity as sort of the central themes in their campaigns. They did really, really, really well. Um, Biden actually turned out more voters than Hillary Clinton did in Broward by raw numbers. He benefited from, um, I think he benefited from an exciting sort of dynamic slate of local candidates who, like, imagine this, they actually had a vision for how things could be better, and they dared to actually talk about it. So our guest today is the vice mayor of Hallandale Beach, which is a beach town that sits right near the border of Miami-Dade and Broward counties. She's a lifelong Broward resident, even though that really just means she's only lived there like 21 years. Uh, she's well known in the progressive activism community, and she's going to help us do sort of a po postmortem on South Florida and uh, continue our postmortem on the Democrats' performance across the Sunshine State. Sabrina Havijana, welcome to Bird Road. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to finally be on your show. I listen. I um, you know, sometimes nod my head in agreement, sometimes cry <laughs> because of the reality of the the state we live in. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really happy to talk about uh, to talk about Broward is, is a place that I love. Um, I know Miami Day is a whole different world. Palm Beach is a whole different world, even though most of us think that South Florida should be a separate state, a separate world. Agreed. Um, but um, I, I agree with so much with what you just said, because you're saying, you know, Biden had Broward is the second bluest county in the state um, with the, the amount of registered Democrats that we have. But that doesn't mean they all turn out. Right. But this year they did. And we and it wasn't because of, you know, our local DEC or massive investment from the Biden campaign here in different communities. It was because of those down ballot candidates like you had just mentioned um, when they whether they ran for city, for state house districts, um, countywide. They turned out the vote because you said they had real messaging. They had real visions um, to get their cities off of fossil fuels and transition to clean energy And uh, by 2030. They had real ideas about reimagining public safety. Um, and, you know, the, the usual things you hear is um, taxes, traffic, and um, maybe trans, uh, transportation, barely, but um, or infrastructure, which are crucial issues, but... Um, it's kind of like the cookie cutter candidate of what you think um, is the typical person to run for like a city or county um, locality. And this this year in Broward, we saw we saw a complete change because usually you also see like they're always lawyers or realtors or um, it runs in the family to serve sure. in office. Those are the types of folks you kind of always see. And that's like kind of what the longtime Broward political establishment has looked like. And this year we saw something completely different. Um, <clears throat> we saw more black women run and get elected. 
Uh, we saw teachers run and get elected. We saw environmental scientists run and get elected, school administrators, um, everyday working people, you know, not the usual, oh, I, I can afford to do it. And I'm a mediocre white man. So of course, I should run for <laughs> run for office, you know. Um, so and then on election night, um, I was obviously watching the results. Um, and Broward this year, you had to be nervous. You had to be nervous that like that, that, that things might go down the same path that they had gone in the past and negate all oh, of that, all well, of that positive, um, you know, momentum that, that had been, that had been built up with something that would be like a narrative that people would jump on. Oh, absolutely. So everyone is like, um, fingers crossed, please. Like, we don't want to be in the headlines for something negative, um, as always, and, you know, I think we kind of had some more confidence because we didn't have the same supervisor of elections that we did have in 2018, 16, whatnot, um, the former SOE, Brenda Snipes. Um, right after, I believe in December 2018, Rick Scott had had her removed from office um, and she didn't run for re-election. Mm -hmm. And so since then, DeSantis appointed um, someone, Peter uh, Antonacci, who has become our SOE since then. And of course, everyone was suspicious at first, uh, from DeSantis, first of all. And second of all, you're not from Broward. We don't know you. And we've just already been through so much. But he actually proved to do um, a pretty good job. We had um, special elections that have occurred since then. We had March municipal elections. We had the, prim the presidential primary, August primary. And they all went off without a hitch. Um, even in the pandemic, um, in this most recent election, we haven't heard any stories about uh, ballots found in a warehouse or yeah. um, Back of fights a car. inside of a polling station. Yeah, right. Or um, people getting COVID because of lack of safety requirements. Um, so we kind of did a pretty good job with our elections. And also, we didn't have to wait till like 10, 30, 11 o'clock for all the precincts to be updated. Um, they were pretty much up and done by like 8 o'clock. So that was pretty monumental for our county, which doesn't have the best reputation, but we're trying. We're trying. So I, I want to talk about um, some specific wins before we get into a, a little bit of criticism, because Broward is, like I said, a shi uh, sort of a shining example of, of, I think, what a lot of Florida could be. And anybody who wants to follow Sabrina, she's at um, at J Vejana, which is two L's, V-E-L-L-A-N-A, -L -L on Twitter. And her pinned tweet is just this like, I don't even know how many there are, but it's a thread of just a, a bunch of, um, you know, men, women, um, mostly people of color who have uh, won their races in Broward County, local, municipal, um, state positions all over the place. And I, I don't know, I was hoping maybe you could encapsulate some of those, some of those great new names and just kind of talk to us about um, you know, some, some things that stu stuck out to you, but if you want to check out and feel a little bit better about being a progressive in South Florida, go check out that thread on Sabrina's page. Um, but tell us about that a little bit, because you alluded to it a moment ago. Yeah. So, um, I made that thread because even though I was depressed, like everyone else watching what had happened to Florida, even though we thought, you know, it would turn a little bit differently. Um, and I knew all, the, you know, the people in my network and my circles who follow me, who follow politics so closely, who run phone banks, who knock on doors, who have so much hope um, and were probably feeling extremely let down. Um, so I wanted to kind of lift the spirits a bit and it helped me feel a little better and it helped them feel better, I think, too.
but also I know to ignore the folks that um, that ran that worked so hard and that so many people are now finally being represented for the first time it wouldn't it wouldn't be okay to ignore them and just kind of wallow in our misery of the losses that we did have um, because there were some but we had a huge um, showing and some of them like I said are ordinary people who are from their communities. And I think that was a really important part because um, sometimes you have candidates pop up or they move to a place and they've been there for a year. Almost all of these people are um, who people who ran in their hometown, people who have been active in their city for years on an, envir um, an environmental advisory board or they've been organizing their block. Um, they've been organizing. They've been active. They've been, you know, going to commission meetings. So they, they're not new people per se, or they didn't have to work as hard to get their name ID out there because it was naturally out there. Folks knew them as leaders. And so some of these folks, some of them are really exciting. And I, I've been paying so much attention to municipal, city, county, state, because I think that's where we're going to build our bench of the next generation of leaders. Because sometimes we're like, okay, um, who's going to challenge Marco Rubio in 22? And then you can think of like three names. It shouldn't be that way. We should have like a list of over 20 folks who are qualified, ready, energizing, representative of the state. And um, I think by starting local is where we're going to kind of start to get there. And so one of the ones who won is Nancy Mateer. She is a Haitian American. She's in her early 30s. She grew up in Coral Springs her whole life. She's an environmental scientist, reproductive justice advocate, community organizer, um, you often see her at the protest um, post um, the death of George Floyd. There, were, there was a protest in Coral Springs, which most people think of as um, white and affluent, but really it has a lot of overlooked Caribbean and immigrant neighborhoods that are undocumented yeah. and black, um, black and brown folks. So she was there. The first protest I'm sure this city has ever seen for racial justice. She was there proudly leading in this parking lot in the pouring rain with like thousands of high schoolers around her calling for justice and calling for a reimagining of public safety. And, you know, as someone who was running for office, that's what a lot of folks would kind of advise you not to do. Oh, don't draw too much attention to yourself or, you know, don't be so polarizing. But she is bold. She's unafraid. She's courageous. Um, some of the things she was talking about that her city should start doing are transitioning to clean energy and off of fossil fuels by 2030, invest in carbon farming, um, making solar easier for residents to install in their homes through the permitting process. Um, she's, she's a real deal. She, and she's the first black woman actually to ever be elected in that city. Um, during her campaign, she was attacked really hard by the police union. Um, there was a lot of racism. She was a dark-skinned woman with dreadlocks. Um, and the police union would give out flyers at the early voting site that said, um, Nancy Mateo is going to defund the police. You won't be safe with her as your commissioner with a darkened photo of her in black and white on this um, obvious fear-mongering card. And she prevailed. Um, she actually ran for mayor of the city last year when there was a special election because the mayor had passed away. She came in second place out of a group of four other candidates and two of them were former mayors of the city. So this is kind of, you know, she lost and she could have just taken her loss and said, okay, you know, I worked really hard and I'm done. But she said, no, I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to keep engaging with this community and keep talking to you all and hearing your issues and meeting you. And I'm going to try again. Um, so. I'm just, I'm just her biggest fan. I FaceTimed her during, you know, election night and we just cried. We were so happy. Um, 
what this means to her family who immigrated to Coral Springs from Haiti and raised their family there, that their daughter would one day become a city commissioner. Um, that was, that was, I'm sorry, like that one just chokes me up because she is an amazing woman and everyone is going to know about her. She's, she's yeah, a rising she's, star. She's a fixture. State. If you, if you've been to any kind of actions on her, if you've, if you've gone to any kind of marches or, or done anything, she's always right there at the head of the line. And, um, from Miami all the way up to Broward. So for a lot of folks, like you say, you can't replace that um, that equity that you get, that that built-in familiarity. I mean, you can, and a lot of people do, with just money and just throw cash at it. But generally, from the angle that, the, that a progressive candidate has to take, you're not going to have that kind of resource at your disposal. Absolutely. And some of her, she had quite a few opponents. I think it was like a five person race. One of them was chamber backed. One of them was um, uh, a conservative pastor who had made the news for some of his conspiracy theories. Like, you know, there were a lot of wild cards in that race and she, the fact that she could prevail and um, you should have been, I went to early voting in Coral Springs to support her for a few hours out there and hand out her card. Um, it was one of the ugliest sites I had ever seen. It was the last Saturday that it was open. And there was a group of, I want to say, like 10 Proud Boys out there um, with these massive signs and flags and speakerphones. And it was scary, honestly. Um, poll, uh, the, you know, the election protection volunteers, folks sure. who are, you know, from outside yeah. observing organizations, they were, get, they were getting ready to call the police because they were actively threatening and um scaring folks who are coming out to vote um if i would have seen what was happening i would have driven away and gone to another polling station there um and she dealt with that for two straight weeks which is the goal that's what the, that's what the goal of that kind of exactly activity is. and it was yeah. terrifying and that was something that we had been seeing a lot in different broward early voting sites but that was kind of the worst one i had seen um so i'm kind of getting so i'm moving from north broward all the way down to south broward because like miami day we're pretty huge and it, it varies so much right. where you are enormous county um but yeah right so city of hollywood which is where most of my family is from and um literally neighboring right next to my city they just elected their first ever black commissioner in nine in their city's history which is 95 years um and it's a they're a pretty significant part of the city's population. Um, there are historically black neighborhoods that built it. Um, there are residents who remember segregation. And this woman who won this district, uh, Linda Hill Anderson, uh, she actually attended a segregated high school herself. And now she is their first black commissioner. But there, she was part of a movement. Um, she'd been active in the city for so long. They have an area called Liberia, which is a historically black neighborhood. Um, that really helped build the city. Um, and so she's president of their civic association. She's um, on like all the city advisory boards. She's been going to the commission meetings for years, specifically advocating for one thing among others, but this is kind of the one that made the news and um, I think is so significant. So there were three street names in the city, Forrest Lee and Hood, named after former Confederate generals, one of them who actually ended up becoming one of the grand wizards of the KKK. Yeah, Nathan Bedford Forrest. A lot of people don't realize how, even though my, South Florida wasn't a really very populated, at least by you know Europeans or, or whites in Civil War era, we inherited a lot of it when, when it eventually did become populated and did places like particularly in Broward County, but also right down the street from me, I've got Dixie Highway, which runs all the way yep. up straight through, you know, it, there's a lot of that yep. happening that down here, this is still the South, even though you, you know, you might not, it might not feel like it in a lot of our communities, but anyway, go ahead. 
No, Dixie Highway, that's funny you mentioned that because I, after I saw um, one of the commissioners in Dade, you know, bring up this resolution to change the name, I passed one in my own city because Dixie Highway runs through Hollandale and most of Broward. And then it elevated to the county commission and they started considering it. And then we ended up making like national news. And then I got all like the save the Confederacy, like hate mail um, to my email, go back to your country when not. But anyways, this is kind of similar. So Linda Hill Anderson was one of the community advocates um, saying, you guys, we need to change this. Like, this is not, this is not the city we need to be living on. This is dangerous. Um, and so in 2017, the city took up this proposal to change the names. And they had advocates like the state rep, Chevron Jones, um, uh, Joy Bullard, all these folks come out to help support this name change. Um, and it got really ugly. Like I said, there were those um, Save Our Confederacy and all these uh, white heritage, different groups coming out. And it was really ugly. They ended up calling the state rep the N-word, like harsh ER numerous times. If you look in like old Herald and Sentinel photos, you can see the protest clashes. And Miss Anderson, um, you know, she's finally getting her moment to shine. They're about to vote. And one of the city commissioners decides to storm off the dais as they're going to vote. He says, I don't agree with any of this. Um, you know, we're not doing this the right way. We need to get the residents to vote on this. Like he just, he wasn't, he didn't feel the urgency to change right. these names. Of course. And um, she ended up unseating him. She wow. ended up defeating this person who didn't, who chose not to vote on the street names. And now they're named Freedom, Hope, and Liberty. So yeah, I didn't, I, even, I didn't I know that story. that was the backstory. I mean, I, we, you know, like most people, I think in, in the area, in the region, I had read and followed tangentially that story when it was going on a couple of years ago. Uh, it feels like it was a couple of years ago. I don't know. Time is time is a flat circle yeah. now. Who knows? But um, it was. <laughs> I, I do remember. I I, I, re I I did not know that that was the um, the outcome of that. And that's great. To, that's incredible to hear. Yeah, and so now she's going to be able to bring representation to this city, uh, this neighborhood, Liberia, and the rest of the district, um, in a time when they desperately need it and she's a brilliant woman i spent many days at early voting out there with her and folks came up they're like i'm voting for linda and i was like well you know this is miss linda right here and they're like oh you know my mom or my cousin my church told me you know to meet her and it was just it was just so cute you know yeah. um, um she's an older woman she's a grandma she's a widow and now is her time to serve her community um so another city is more central about broward uh plantation which in of itself, why is the city named Plantation? <laughs> yes. Um, and that kind it of begs that a lot made of the headlines yes. earlier this way too. <laughs> 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 that that became one of the issues um, when it when people kind of started finding out uh, this is this is totally outdated. Um, so they had two kind of really exciting wins. One was just reelected because he had run for a partial term back in 2018. Uh, his name is Nick Sordle. He's a former Sun Sentinel journalist who did really hard investigative. Um, journalism on the kind of like the the gaming compact that the state has with the uh native american tribes um and the casino industries and all the behind the scenes there and so he kind of took his reporter hat to city hall now as a city commissioner he always has like in true reporter fashion his little notebook and pen um even when you don't realize that he's taking notes and you're like wait you know like we're just talking. This is not like a <laughs> on the record conversation. <laughs> but he was, you know, he's like, I'm going to snoop around City Hall. I'm going to make government transparent and accessible. He writes uh, this weekly blog to all the residents because as an elected official, you are in so many rooms and meetings and conferences that the general public and regular people just don't have access to. And you learn 
all the behind the scenes about what's happening with millions and billions of dollars, um, what's happening with our environment, with flooding. And, you know, if you're a good elected official, you take that information and you make it public and accessible to your residents. um, So they're just as informed as you are, because it's not enough if we know. Um, Yeah, we're making the decisions, but we want our residents to have those you know, informed background so they know what's going on. Um, so he's all about that. And I think it's just so cool because you never really hear of a journalist, an investigative journalist no, in never. office. Yeah. Um, and his opponent rare. actually ran against him uh, because there was a um, development coming before them and it would be like a higher density condo. Um, and it's right near the highway. So perfect for transportation and everything. But his opponent is like, no more density. I hate traffic. Stop building. No more housing, which is like not the direction we need to go into when like the majority of our county is paying more than 30% of their monthly income on housing, which is truly unaffordable. Um, and also we know uh, with developers, the more that they can build, the higher the density, the more affordable they can make the units. Um, because unfortunately, the state has preempted cities on on affordability, on housing. Um, they've passed laws. And two years ago, they passed one where cities cannot require developers to um, mandate new, like a percentage of affordable units. So normally we'd say, okay, you want to build this. Um, 15% of it has to be, of the units has to be affordable per, um, you know, the state or the county's like average incomes. Um, we, so they banned us from doing that. So unless you can really let them build higher or provide some subsidies from like a community redevelopment agency, you're not going to see much affordable housing. And so, you know, that's what his opponent was all about, like stopping housing. And I think voters rejected that in a landslide. They were like, you know what, we're, we're not going to just care about ourselves because we have a home already. We need to make sure there's affordability for the next generation. Like my generation, like I am nowhere near thinking about buying a home because how am I going to do that? <laughs> like yeah, I, that's I gone from being loans. a, that's gone from being like a milestone for somebody just maybe a little bit older than you, but like right in your, in, in, in your wheelhouse to something that you have to put off indefinitely, if ever, because of just the sheer unaffordability of it. In, in our region, at least. Yep. So people understand, like, there's great parts about Miami and South Florida being a, um, and Broward is an extension of this as part of it. It's an, it's, it's an international area, and uh, that's awesome. And we love it because, you know, we get to experience so much, but also a lot of money flows in, and a lot of money makes yep. things unaffordable for the actual people that live here. And I know that that's a problem up there in, in Broward, just like it is here in Miami. Yeah, and a lot of these um, houses are getting bought up by foreign investors, um, and they're strictly using it as investment properties, not mm-hmm. to rent out or to fix up and sell. And maybe someone can use a first-time home buyers program to get it. Like a lot of our housing stock is getting sucked up by the foreign investors, um, by short-term rentals like Airbnbs and um, BRBOs and all those things. Right. Um, so we're really running out of places for people to live. Um, you know, a lot of people my age, like my, I want to see like my classmates that I grew up with and graduated with go off and, you know, do whatever they're doing with, whether it's a trade or whether it's college, I want them to be able to come back and live in their hometowns and afford it. But that's really, it's really becoming impossible with the housing and wages that we do have. And at the local level, the state has preempted so much of that. So I, I don't know. How, are you are you familiar kind of like with preemption and everything? I know that the deck is uh, when it comes to planning is stacked in South Florida um, against 
municipalities and county governments. I know that that everything not and it's not an accident this that this ended up this way, but um, everything is is developer led, so it ends up yeah. being led by you know the greatest profit margin, and if you have this huge class of corporate or foreign investment capital that's ready to you know pay a lot more for real estate than your typical like you said like your 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 friends that you went to high school with who are now like you know entering the workforce uh, more than what they could afford then yeah it just follows that's that's what ends up happening and um it's the like i think this is like a larger you know with this is like a larger conversation in like the progressive (laughs) world right about like nimby and yimby and stuff like that and um yeah (laughs) I, i mean like there are i think places for both philosophies and um south florida is definitely not one of them (laughs) like we need more inventory we need more um available and affordable housing because you look at a place like i don't know is this the case with 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 the airport up there with fort lauderdale airport here in miami you can draw and we have we've had the on the show before nucleus shelton from seiu who talked about this you can draw like a 15 mile radius around miami-dade international airport and in that radius, there's not a single residential area that the people who work at the airport can afford to live in. Like, you can't find a yeah. place where they can afford to live. And that that's just one, albeit very large, employer of the area. But still, that's just one employer. Uh, you can probably do that in a lot of, uh, draw similar circles in a lot of places throughout South Florida and throughout Broward. Yeah, that's very the, a very similar situation with our Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, the you, you see so many people go through it every day and every year. And the employees who work there have actually been um, protesting outside of um, Spirit Airlines. Uh, the What is it? The exit. The terminal um, or whatever. Yeah. Almost monthly because, yeah, I forgot the name. Um, <laughs> so one of the contractors, despite receiving so much money in the PPP loans, which is supposed to protect employees and their jobs. Um, and most of these employees are black and brown. They're immigrants. They're yeah. Haitian. Um, they've been working here for 10 plus years. They're union members. Um, they're being laid off by the by the contractor. And the city, uh, not the city, I'm sorry, Broward County controls the airport. They oversee this airport and they control the contractors. Um, and we're not seeing the county step in and protect these um, these employees from losing their livelihoods after, you know, being a great employee, no blemishes or anything for over a decade. Um, so despite like the PPP money, um, their, you know, their jobs really weren't protected, which was the goal of it. And these spirit airlines, like they received like, I think over $20 million. Um, but it's very similar. And another thing is, um, another, (laughs) um, consequence of preemption, um, cities are not allowed to enact or even the county any rent control ordinances. Mm -hmm. Um, so we can't say, um, you know, capped at 5% or you have to inform them within like six months or a year of any increases, they can just increase rent at any time for any reason. Um, so there's so many things. I mean, when I go down the list of the preemptions that the state has imposed on cities that ban us from making any ordinances, laws about these issues, um, it's exactly like you said, it's led by profits. They're championed in the legislature by the Chamber of Commerce, the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association, the Association of Industries. Um, 
the majority of these are passed by them. So um, cities aren't allowed to pass their own minimum wage laws. Uh, I think the city of Miami Beach and Orlando tried to do it on their own. State said, nope, thrown out in the court. Um, And so that's why we had to do this statewide because we couldn't do it city by city where maybe, you know, the needs vary. But still, um, we are not allowed to pass any paid sick leave ordinances uh, requiring that businesses of like over 100 employees or more provide paid sick leave. Um, city of Orlando tried thrown out. Um, we're not allowed to ban uh, guns in public parks or municipal complexes, which, you know, there was a shooting at a city hall in Virginia that left, I think, over 10 people dead. Um, shootings in parks are happening a lot in these um, neighborhoods, especially in my city. We're seeing um, more and more gun violence, uh, which is very disturbing. And yeah, and less, less people forget for our listeners, for our listeners who aren't in Florida, um, Parkland High School is in Broward County. Exactly. And, um, you know, they did pass like some legislation, uh, I think some a three day waiting period and red flag laws, but it doesn't go far enough. Right. Um, we're not allowed to pass a lot of environmental uh, protections, like ending reliance on single use plastics and styrofoams or chemicals and sunscreen that bleach the coral reefs that help <laughs> protect us from sea level rise. Um, police investigations are all pretty much um regulated by the police, uh, the the, um, police officer's bill of rights um, and whether an officer can be fired for an action or not. Um, So oftentimes you'll have a lot of officers on the force um, and the command staff and the chief and the city administration will want to let this person go, but they legally cannot because it'll go to an arbitrator. They'll have to pay that person. You know, they did something that the city does not agree with and they just can't get rid of that person. Um, a lot of voting laws, like automatic voter registration, not allowed to implement that in counties or cities. Um, sheriff's budgets, actually, there's um, a preemption that says if um, a sheriff isn't happy, because the counties all vote on the sheriff's budget, and if the sheriff isn't happy with, um, you know, how much they allocated to, maybe it was a tough year. Like right now, we're going through, right. um, you know, a revenue crisis. And so maybe the, the county didn't spend as much as they usually do. The sheriff can appeal that to the governor and get from the county what they want. Which, of course, um, in, governor... in our case, what the, the governor will, because he, you yeah. know, of the, the uh, polarities of, you know, his, <laughs> his particular party and the, his appearance of, you know, yeah. wanting to be side law and order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just saw him standing with the uh, Florida Association of Sheriffs. Um, in this press conference announcing this like mob legislation of uh, criminalizing that's protests obscene. and legalizing murder. That's obscene. Legalize, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I saw you had tweeted about that too. And I, I feel like this is like a zombie cause for him, our, 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 our governor, Ron DeSantis, not to get too off, far off topic, but um, actually it's not that far off topic because in the, over the summer, during the, um, uh, the various protests that swept the nation, Broward County was probably, I think, one of the more active parts of Florida in terms of, um, you know, turnout for for protests. And uh, yeah, what what what's going on right now is just this anti, I guess it's ostensibly anti rioting legislation that the governor has pushed, and he's been pushing this for a few months now. He had first talked about it, I think, way back in September, and um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, the, the net effect of it would be, you know, just murder just being able to commit acts of murder against peaceful 
people, you know, exercising their their uh, yeah. their right to protest and their First Amendment rights. Uh, the the one pager he put out about it, like the kind of draft legislation, because we haven't seen anything really filed yet. That'll be coming soon, I suppose. Um, but like racketeering and right go charges for protest organizers, um, uh, taking away any state funding of grants and appropriations to cities that right. in any way defund the police, which could just because of uh, because of like, you know, not wanting to raise taxes and the right. revenue problems that we're having. Um, it could happen for any reason. Um, and so to take away that st- state funding would be catastrophic. Um, just legalizing them. If, if someone is run over by a vehicle, then, you know, qualified immunity for you. Um, so a lot of a lot of terrifying. It, it creates a it bill. creates a, 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 a police amalgam of all these like different st- state and local agencies mostly local agencies and and departments and sheriff's offices uh where like it's this ever-growing blob it's almost like national security honestly for people who you know follow that the blob right when you talk about the blob it can only get bigger the budgets can only get bigger otherwise like (laughs) no way to cut things no way to like pare things down no way to in a perfect world where if there was less crime maybe um, or, you know, circumstances that were considered to be crime less, you know, in, in a less harsh sort of punitive way, like it, it, you still have to continue to dump money and you can only stay the same and more likely get, you know, this this sort of orbit of more cash and cash and cash and cash. It's yeah. an unsustainable, insane piece of legislation. And that's before you even get to the likelihood of all the violence that it'll cause. Yeah. And we can't even find um, social services uh, we saw massive problems with the state domestic violence um, association. Uh, we saw just this recent USA Today article that shows DCF um, in the state is massively um, corrupt. Right. Um, our our Broward County public schools literally have mold and asbestos, and teachers are and children are breathing this air. They're in um, and being ushered roofs, back in as um, quickly as possible by the state government, who again just oh. months ago threatened to remove finance or re- remove funding if uh if if schools in south florida didn't or around the state really but also in south florida didn't open up like literally open up and start letting kids go back in yeah. this was actually a big issue um I, I think this kind of shows how important your school boards are your city and county elected officials and every time we do something to keep the public safe in the middle of this awful dangerous pandemic where for the longest time Miami and just Florida in general was like the red spot of the world. Right. Um, so we, we try to pass all these, um, you know, safety regulations and precautions and do all this messaging and things to reinforce it. And uh, the state undercuts you every, every step of the way, or they make it harder to do your job or they don't release all the information or help you fund testing sites. Um, when you know the state you know has pretty unlimited resources of money where right. cities and counties not so much because but guess what the state has also preempted taxing authority from the cities we can't implement new taxes on like gas um or large corporations um you're pretty much stuck with property taxes um and people get pissed <laughs> none of it is by accident it is part of a when 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 you're when you turn it into a binary and I want to get into this a little bit about, um, you know, just generally what it is to be a Democrat and what it is to be on the left and what it is to be, you know, behind certain issues and live in Florida. Um, but it's not an accident that the deck is stacked that way. It's stacked like that on purpose because 
it's in the interest of one party to make it seem like government doesn't work. It's in the interest of yeah. one party to, to, to create outcomes where, you know, municipal municipal bodies can't do anything about anything where it's busted and broken and it's just the way it is yeah you, you can't look to can't don't look to government for answers because they're not the ones and it's like yeah well you kind of created those circumstances your entire party running the state for such a long time before we move over to that there's one other person that i want to get your feedback on and then i want to i want to focus a little bit on the state and um not necessarily as far as i know uh somebody who maybe shares all the same positions that you and i do but is taking over a very very important position that has that has been in need of fresh blood for a really long time and this person is um and i want to get your, your take on 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 the whole office harold fernandez Pryor is going to be um broward county's first uh state attorney in 44 years first new state yeah. attorney what does that mean um in the larger realm of of justice and uh you know criminal reform if anything um i, I mean like broward what differentiates broward i think from miami-dade for folks who don't know is just the way that you think of like the you know latino population in miami think consider that to be the same thing somewhat in in, in broward right it's it's uh mm -hmm. much more uh, black population and um and uh prior is a black man so uh i don't know what fill us in a little bit about about the new incoming state attorney yeah and i'm sorry there were so many races i didn't get to local county wide state folks check uh, out check out our check out our twitter feed there's, a, there's more than we could talk <laughs> yes. about in on this just Read one the show. <laughs> we'll be here forever um because like there's so many i didn't even get to like we have a wnba star who's now on that's Bay. right like, come on yeah. there's so many cool there's cool <laughs> folks that we didn't get to but harold fernandez prior um I am this that was a race that was very personal to me. Of course, like you said, 44 years, uh, we had the same state attorney, uh, Mike Satz, um, kind of a similar reputation to Catherine Fernandez Rundle. Mm -hmm. If could I make that analogy for the Miami Dade folks, you know, no holding of police officers accountable, uh, elected officials getting off on corruption charges. Um, mass incarceration of young black and brown men for petty things like low-level drugs and three strikes and prosecution of minors, all these different things, you know, everything the justice system shouldn't be. And so similar in Miami, Dade and Broward, unfortunately, Melville Pearson didn't become victorious in, in Dade. Um, right. But we had a lot of justice candidates running Broward. And I will take a second because like this race was personal for me because um, when I was younger, my parents were prosecuted by the Broward State Attorney's Office. Um, they were um, prosecuted. I was young, no idea what was happening. And um, they were found guilty and they served time. My dad served almost three years. My mom served two months um, until they appealed their case to the fourth district court of appeals and they were found not guilty. They were totally exonerated, um, wrongful conviction, um, but it had already taken years of their life to get there. Um, their life savings, their careers. Um, oh Sounds gosh, like you got, the, you got the police dogs at your, at your, at your, at your door. <laughs> So sorry. Okay. So like I said, the race was very- Just so everybody understands <laughs> what happened. Um, you know, we were talking about, about Sabrina's parents being exonerated years ago and the, um, the Broward Sheriff's office showed up with the, with the police dogs and they were kicking the door in and, uh, they were, <laughs> so they were trying to silence her, but she's escaped to, um, you know, an offsite location where she's 
going to continue recording. <laughs> that was my dog, Cersei. She probably just heard kids playing outside. <laughs> but um, so I had that firsthand experience. My little brother and I had to spend you know, a long time living with our grandmother and our uncles being cared for by our village uh, because of you know what was happening to our parents. And it really um, it traumatized us, but it also traumatized them. My mother told me about um, being transferred accidentally to this women's prison in Central Florida, uh, Lowell, that recently made news for sexual assault and horrible yeah. things going on there. And she told me in the week that she was there, she saw three women try to kill themselves. Um, and so all of this didn't have to happen. And my parents' story isn't, you know, a single story. It's the reality of what happens to so many people. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, folks who can't, fight it, who can't get the lawyers to appeal to the district court of appeals, um, you know, who don't have that, who don't have that same ability or that same like legal know-how or access to that knowledge. Um, and so I think it kind of, ins- it's inspired me to really get involved in this race. Um, even before we heard that the state attorney was retiring and not running for re-election, there was a candidate who, um, who filed. And he, unfortunately, he didn't win. He came second in the primary. His name was Joe Kimmock. Um, He was being supported by the likes of Bernie Sanders and national reformist prosecutors. Um, And he had, you know, his platform was about ending cash bail, um, ending mass incarceration, this pay for play system. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, We can build it and we can focus on violent crimes while keeping our community safe. And so I supported him so hard in the primary. We came in second place. We beat out a lot, a lot of the like conservative prosecutors, um, the law and order types, the handpicked um, successor of former state attorney Sats, who he wanted to win. Um, we beat out a lot of folks. But Harold is great too. He and three, uh, he, Joe, and uh, Josh Rydell were three candidates who were being pushed hard by the ACLU because of their commitments to uh, not prosecuting small amounts of drugs, not filing children as adults. Um, the death penalty is tough because of what happened with like Arama Sayala when she tried to stop seeking the death penalty, but you know, not seeking it for minors, just doing the best we can to um, help people and not incarcerate them. Uh, being decarceral, thinking about harm reduction. And so Harold um, was part of that trio who committed to a lot of these reforms. And that's why I feel I feel invigorated um, by his campaign. Um, we saw a massive black turnout in August. We now have all of our countywide constitutional officers in Broward um, are um, a black man, uh, sheriff in Broward, public defender, state attorney, um supervisor of elections and i'm probably forgetting another one but yeah. it's pretty it it's pretty real, major they're it was a real the flip first. yeah it was a real flip in, in in broward and i mean it seems like it was uh, across the county um but i want to shift away from the county and, and talk a little bit about uh narratives that are taking hold nationally um uh the mm-hmm. the politics of the Democratic Party here in the state. And uh, I want to start with a, a phone call that I think we were both on on Wednesday that was hosted by um, uh, Representative uh, Anna Eskamani. And yes, it, it was broadly it was like, I guess, how to how to describe it, because it was sort of a collection of, I think, like four or five hundred people who just self-identify as being progressive or on the left or just interested in pursuing a more, you know, 
a more democratic agenda across Florida. Anybody who was interested, I think, joined. And um, it was on the Facebook live on her Facebook, too. You can watch the recording. You can watch the recording of it, which I urge you to do. Um, I recommend that. It, it's, it's good. It was very constructive. I got to see and meet a lot of new faces that I had only I only knew them as names on a on a ballot, basically, across the state. And um, in, mm. in some of them in this is a huge state, you know, some of them were in um, in districts that were far flung from me, like hundreds and hundreds of miles from us. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, Jacksonville and Pinellas sure. were on there. St. Petersburg. Yeah, the fight in Fourteenth that um, that selected uh, uh, Angie Nixon, and um, so yes. like you know a lot of a lot of really great people. But uh, and it was nice to meet them and put those names to faces. But there was a core tension that we were that was being discussed by the speakers, and it's yeah. this the same old thing. It's a story that we've been talking about on this show for four years. It's this like left versus center, and in the center yeah. you've got the establishment that runs the Florida Democratic Party that runs it as you know friend of the show last week uh, uh, Thomas Kennedy told, told us like a like a like a money laundering cartel that is basically just moving money through different um, uh, consultants and and uh, you know moving cash from point A to point B and keeping it like a make work program basically and yeah. and um, you know that's kind of typified by my own Congresswoman Donna Shalala, who, you know, was not the kind of person that you were talking about. He, she was not the kind of candidate that was knocking on doors. Was never a knocking on doors candidate. Was never a really getting to know. I mean, I'm I'm not a big deal, but I do a lot of stuff, and I didn't. I do a lot of stuff politically in my in my district, and I didn't meet her one time. And I, I mm. mean, like, and I'm not somebody that goes to you know balls or galas or anything like that. But like, you know, so maybe I would have met her if I done that kind of stuff but um <laughs> but uh you know she never um you know stopped by any dsa meetings not like i think she would but you know she never did anything like that <laughs> and uh I, I guess my point is like um the the meeting itself was titled where do we go from here you sat in for the whole hour and a half so uh a lot of great ideas and a lot of more than anything it felt like it was just good catharsis to hear from people who had you know who 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 countered the narrative that Florida got its absolute ass kicked, even though we kind of did get our ass kicked. So I ask you the question of the name of that meeting. Where do we go from here? Like, what were your takeaways from that? Yeah. Um, to me, I mean, you kind of heard it to me from me. I'm I'm like a broken clock, but um, I'm all about investing in local candidates, looking and not just in the candidates, but in the communities themselves. We heard it from those folks. We need to be in the community year round, like people, like just average folks who are not involved in elections or follow all these folks online that we do and this is all the narrative that we hear all the time they're like i'm tired i just i get these texts all the time um right before it's time to vote but i don't know who these people are like i'm just supposed to vote for them because um there's yeah. a d next to their name or they're on like a palm card i have no idea idea who you are i've never seen you in my community and there's just that distrust um you can't show up right before an election. Like that wouldn't work in my community. People will give you the side eye and kind of like close the door in your face. But if you're here, if you're saying, if they know you, if, if they know you went to the local high school and they have something to connect with you about, they're more willing to open up to you and start talking. And that's why we need to have, we need to invest in the organizer, organizers in these communities, not just um, like out of state folks or folks that you shuffle from like South Florida to North Florida. 
it has to be people who know these communities because they know who to talk to. They know, you know, what the issues are. They know like what people are struggling with. Um, like in my community, like it, it, it varies because Hollandale is a small but very diverse city. It, it varies from flooding from sea level rise to um, the living conditions that slumlords put you in. And those are the issues people kind of want to hear about. They want to hear about wages. They want to hear about affordable housing. Um, and maybe like the Democrats mes- message wasn't working in these communities, but yeah. an organizer in these communities can help convey the message in a way that is more relatable to their lives, to improving their life. Um, and so, I mean, I hear, of course, like, you know, the left is getting blamed, like, as always, um, for like socialism and defund the police. But none of these candidates, like not a single candidate I know of, even the most progressive of them was running on these um was running on these slogans or these platforms. That's a great point. That's a that's a really good point that I don't think that enough of that actually we I haven't heard anybody make that point yet and it's a really good one. There was nobody running on defund the police. There was we could barely get people to run on Medicare for all. Like it was hard enough yeah. to get to get like sort of establishment Democrats or even anybody slightly to the left to to talk about that. And for some reason that is the uh, the cudgel that's being used to 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 beat people over the head for, uh, you know. And I guess my point is, if it, if that's the case, then it was a messaging problem. And I'm sorry, but the yeah. small grassroots people that are out in the field, they're not responsible for the broad messaging. They they can't be held responsible no. for that because they don't have the resources. They don't have the the you know crooked media you know John Favreau whatever Pod Save America enormous apparatus <laughs> to get that message out there. They we yeah. don't have that. We have little podcasts like Bird Road. I mean, like that's what we have. Yeah. So uh, that's and a activists really good point. who are out there, who I mean, activists who were calling for defunding the police, they're not accountable or they don't report to the party. So, I mean, like this was coming from community members. It was coming from activists. It wasn't coming from elected officials. You know, maybe they should listen to why these folks were asking for that um, and pay attention rather than just completely like throwing them off, especially when, you know, black voters were what turned out for down ballot Dems. They're what turned out um, for Biden Harris, like Biden Harris. Would they even be in office without black voters? Most likely not. If you if you take Um, away the cities of. You know, take away cities like Las Vegas, Philadelphia, Las Vegas, which, you know, our listeners know that we have strong affinity there. We were out there working with Bernie and it was mostly a Latino vote out there. But Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. Atlanta, you know, a lot of these places like those were the difference. You know, they they literally made the difference. Milwaukee, Detroit, all these places. Yeah, absolutely. Like and in in my just even locally in Broward. Black voters turned out massively for these local candidates, and now they are. People are going to expect these reforms and changes that they promised on the trail. So nobody really wants to see them walking back and hiring, you know, the usual establishment folks, or just being okay with now being in office and happy to have a position or a seat at the table. Um, we're expecting the real changes. Like this is not like a, an election as as usual. We're like we're happy that you are the first, or we're happy that you were elected. But now you're going to have to show us what you said you were going to do, which. Oftentimes people become, you know, they're just, they just become comfortable and happy to be there is kind yeah. of what it is. And that's what I see. Um, I, I go to a lot of meetings with other city and county elected officials and some folks really just take up a seat, don't say anything. And then, you know, take a picture at the end and post it online and they go. And I'm like, you're not contributing. You're not doing your community well by doing nothing. Um, 
But meanwhile, I'm also like in organizations like Local Progress and Young Elected Officials Network, which are coalitions of national um, progressive elected leaders, uh, school board members, um, people like Lena Hidalgo, the, the main judge in, in Harris County, Texas, that oversees the whole county, um, folks in Austin, in New York, in Chicago, in rural communities who are um, running for office, not just to do things like pass a ban on straws, which is good. We need to end our reliance on single-use plastics, but they're introducing their own Green New Deals locally because they're like, this little incremental stuff is not going to cut it. We're going to have to go big and bold because the truth is, just recently in Broward, in South Florida too, in Dade, there was this massive rain event that was not predicted. It was had a 1% chance of happening. It wasn't the usual 10-year flood that um, counties prepare for in their planning. It was a 50-year flood. And um, a lot of homes are going to be seen as total losses. I, I've, I've seen GoFundMes for families in Fort Lauderdale who lost everything. And some of these were in um, historically Black neighborhoods too. And so I think it's just, it's ironic that we think like doing the bare minimum is enough when we are literally like already underwater. Like climate change is already here and we need to do everything we can to like end our, our, um, our greenhouse gas emissions that like just our city operations are responsible for um we need to be doing the most like um even during the presidential primary like warren said like if you don't have big bold ideas like why are you running are you running just because like like i said before too like you know like mediocre white men with money like just think they should run for office just just because um and like with with all the local folks that we saw um I think there, there's kind of like this shift and it's going to take more young voters coming out. It's going to take more education and investment in our communities. And I kind of deviated, but like, I really, this is kind of like what I mean, like when I'm talking about the Florida democratic party and um, uh, just Democrats in general, like we're going to need these really strong candidates who are running on these things that affect our everyday lives, wages, housing, environment, we're seeing the effects, but we have to like translate what's happening to us every day into the issues that we can tackle. Um, yeah, they're not. A bit they're, they're, they're like no. It, it it does all tie together though because the the party at a state level is very much. I mean, look. All you have to do is look at look at the the revenue intake. It's coming from places like yeah. Disney. It's coming like from places like Florida Crystal. It's coming from places like uh, Florida Power and Light. And none of these places are in, I mean, again, we talk about what incentives are. They don't have any incentive to address any of the, the those core problems. I mean, every few months, it seems like our topography changes. We lose a little bit more yeah. here in, in, in South Florida. I don't know if you've ever been to um, it, uh, over near the Gables, Matheson Hammock. Matheson Hammock isn't even there anymore. Half of it is just underwater permanently. Like people have just agreed like, wow. oh, you know, we're just putting yellow tape up there because that that's just not there anymore and every few months there's a new huge hunk of something that we lose and that that changes and um you know depending on whether you think the genie's out of the bottle or not it it doesn't matter because there's still people that are at risk and it's going to affect the people who are you know in this very poor region um the most poor of, of all of them yeah. and there's no plan in place right now the florida democratic party does isn't interested as far as i can tell in pushing a new plan or pushing a plan um so many issues that must be so frustrating for you specifically in in, in your position uh, so many 
issues or proposed solutions that the larger, not just the DNC, but the Florida, the state party sort of sidestep away from or they take so long to jump on board with, right? Like even minimum wage, what kind of Democratic Party can't jump on board with a living wage? And it took them, I don't know, I, I, I've heard disputes over the timeline, but um, I think most people agree that they really dragged their heels over supporting um, that amendment and uh, it, it passed overwhelmingly. Uh, that, that must be yeah. just very annoying to have to deal I think with. like the majority of voters like didn't even know that um, minimum wage increase was on the ballot till like October, even right. though it had been finalized like for months and months prior. We could have been talking about this for a long time. For a we could long have been time, making yeah. like wages and and connecting it to every part of our lives. Like imagine bringing home more money, bringing being able to like not balance your bills as difficultly as you do, being able to live comfortably. Um, or just just having some some help um, that that would have touched with a lot of like working class folks, um, especially those who work in like service industries, um, people who were being affected by like hospitality and laid yeah. off like we could have really I mean, we made this campaign like all about unemployment and covid, which are were two major issues. But and Trump we should have expanded. and really just and, and, yeah, and just oh, broadly the yeah, that the entire absolutely. Incumbent. But. Yeah. I think we like we saw we had a few candidates like running for the state who weren't afraid to run on like the big bold ideas. Um, and some of them won, like Anna Eskamani, whose call we were on. Um, she's not afraid to talk about, you know, we need to get 100 percent off of fossil fuels like this natural gas stuff is not enough like to transition. Um, Chevron Jones, who just became the senator in my area, um, he just filed a bill to end uh, qualified immunity for police officers yep. and of course you know like consultants and like media and campaign folks will say like no like that'll hurt you with like white moderates or that'll hurt you in this community like no um we shouldn't be like focusing everything we do on the next election or re-election or what they're gonna say about us we need to like do the things that matter um like your job is literally to write laws and my job is also to write city laws and pass a budget um we're not here to like be like like bench sitters like we got elected to do this job and um we have some folks who are stepping up and um it's it's sad that we have to be like surprised and and just like overjoyed when we do have those folks like it should be the yeah. norm um but for now that's what it is in florida um i'm very scared about like you know we and we lost some really great folks we lost jennifer webb in like the tampa bay area she was the first out woman um in the florida house she was a first-term legislator we lost my dear friend cindy polo who also represented broward um someone who was never afraid to stop talking about um immigrant communities she she showed up almost every week to the ice um, facility that there is in Miramar, um, her district and right near me in Hollandale. Um, people were waiting outside in horrible conditions, um, no shade, no bathroom, waiting for six hours to see someone and maybe not coming out. Um, no other elected official showed up there except for her because these were her constituents too. And yeah, they weren't voters. Um, but it didn't matter to her. Like the fact that she stood up for immigrants that way. And when they passed that horrible bill in the house about uh, banning sanctuary cities and forcing sheriffs to comply with ICE, she was the loudest voice there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the fact Polo that we don't a, have her. C Cindy Polo was a really tough loss. And she, um, 
Yeah. You know, one of I think seven or eight. I haven't seen the latest, uh, the, the 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 latest numbers, but I know that the the Democratic minority in the state house gave up about seven or eight seats, and um, she was one that really hurt. Uh, you yeah. know, she was, you know, quote unquote, one of the good ones, you know, like one of the really, you know, <laughs> people out there that's like fighting for, for all the right things. And is not just holding that, um, that seat and keeping it warm. Um, and yeah. what bothers me the most about her race, and um, I look around uh, South Florida, and I see a lot of this too, is, is, is the way that, that she lost it and the people that she lost, it, that she lost to. Um, I'm also thinking of, um, of uh, uh jose javier rodriguez who's who we just found out over the last few days yep. um what a lot of us suspected that uh you know most likely and again I'll, I'll i'll go out and say this because i'm i mean like you only need to have two eyes in your head to understand what happened uh, an anonymous candidate with the same last name yep. a similar name a rod <laughs> yeah an a rod a real a rod was put up against him and um it was funny because he, I, uh, Glenn Mil- Milberg, who's a local journalist down here, actually hunted down A-Rod and, and was interviewing him on his porch. And he had like big time Tio who got caught pulling some bullshit and is just trying to get away <laughs> with it energy. And he's just like, bueno, no say, I don't know. You have to ask them. I don't know. He's got that like whole affect of like you, everybody, everybody has somebody like that in their family. The guy who's like. Yeah, causing bullshit. He was like expenditure. Caught. What expenditure? I don't know expenditure. You got to talk to the finance people. And she's like, what finance people? He goes, you know, the the people with the money. I don't know. Like you, you just expected him to just try to point in the other direction, be like, what's that over there, and run away. Yeah, it's a real funny interview. But he lost to, um, you know, that former head of Latinas for Trump, uh, who. Uh, yeah. it's just you know, uh, it, there was obvious and the obvious inclusion there he, by thirty four legislator. Yeah, 30. There were so many races that were decided by 9, 10, 1, 30 votes. Like, literally, like, okay, I know, like, electoral politics isn't going to save us, but your vote matters. Yeah. Like, like... Every single one is going to vote. Every single one. So, like, that's why we, we were so big on, like, protecting the vote, like, making sure you knew about, like, your signature and sealing and all this stuff with vote by mails. But the irony that he's the legislator who talked about climate change the most, about uh, renewable energy, about flooding. He wore those those knee-high rain boots to the legislature every day. You saw him in the king tides in those boots. And he, we found out he lost in the middle of like a massive flood, like due to climate change. The, so, um, the, the irony. And you're not, I mean, unless you plan on building a raft out of, um, you know, make America great again, t-shirts. I don't think that you're, you're incoming, uh, senator is going to be helping you out very much like that that's not going to be on on her agenda and that's what people voted for i mean i don't know i want to kind of wrap up by like being a little self-critical and maybe a little bit Mm -hmm. not just the democratic party but just broadly the left which honestly it feels like the democratic party is not even a part of that that coalition sometimes but i've been thinking about this and i want to get your thoughts on it as well i think that something took hold during the course of the last four years, at least in Florida, right? And probably the same way in Broward. And I think that incumbents always do better. They do better than they did. I mean, with very few exceptions. So I think that a lot of the panic over Donald Trump um, is really like misplaced. I think that, you know, first of all, he was an incumbent. He's going to do better. No matter how horrible he is, he's going to just do better based off name recognition than he did the first time around. And also... I think Democrats were at a unique disadvantage because of the general 
acceptance of science in the middle of a pandemic the 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 reluct the i mean the the fact that we broadly did not you know flout the situation and hold huge events and have enormous i mean like the last big political event that i went to was in something for bernie in march and i mean that's when bernie was still in the race so it shows you how long ago yeah. it was and uh we held a show in february with like 40 50 people side to side um and nothing like that has happened for democrats because again we're not the ones to flout the science and i think that that I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, right? It, unless you want to become Republicans and not care about no. stuff like that. I think that there's a there's one failing that we have to examine, and if if we want to like talk about like oh why did why did we lose so many people in our communities in South Florida? There's an immigrant myth, and it goes all the way back to like the days of Horatio Alger and like the streets lined with gold, and you come here. You can hustle. You make it. This isn't language that we use on the left. The like the yeah. the hustle economy. The like the the hustle and grind and the work hard and make something. And I find it to be like best kept on fucking LinkedIn. And I hate that shit. I think it's like disingenuous and it doesn't address real material needs. But damned if it's not something that I think people bought in on this time around. And that coupled with the quote unquote lockdowns with the circumstances of COVID, with the frustration that came out of it, like, just let me get out there and work. I want to go hustle. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to do what sort of capitalism has, has, has ingrained in my brain for me to go do. I need to go do this. I don't think we had an answer for that. I don't think we had an answer for, and I'm trying to think of how we could translate this idea of like, well, look, we all need to make sure that everybody's material needs are satisfied. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it just seems like a like a real question that's standing out. And yeah, maybe in the next two years, four years, the pandemic won't be such a big issue. But I think that that narrative that we're losing or that we've lost that we don't have an answer for might be. What, what do you think of that? And do you attribute any of those like that all that word salad that I just spit out there to any of the to any of the reasons that maybe we underperformed? The, the, the oh yeah, problem. no, absolutely. And like the only kind of response we had to like, oh, if you work hard enough, you can make it was, um, you know, like the memes that came out, like if your like house looks like this, then don't worry about Biden's $400,000 like income tax plan. Like, right. like, cause everyone's like, okay, well one day I'm going to be a millionaire and I don't want like the government to take all my money, but like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, what is that money going to be used for? And then what expenses in your life are going to be saved because like you and everybody else receive these quality services, these social services, this childcare or this healthcare. Um, I think we have to be better at like translating um, like from like this academic uh, theory into like real life application um, because like probably a lot of people see like the things we talk about um, and just like, oh, those are like white people and like blue districts, like ideas, like that doesn't work in working class or rural areas. And that, that that's not true. That's not true. But we have to we have to explain how it can work. Um, and we have to explain how it's going to like help our lives. It's going to help our generations. It's going to help save our country and our planet. Um, and we have to translate that. And that means like putting in the hard work, putting in our sneakers, like getting off of like Facebook and Twitter and just like talking with people, like your friends and your family and your neighbors and um, strangers. <laughs> you don't know, like it means organizing your community. Um, 
it's not enough like of course like digital and all the stuff we're talking about now is important but that, those existing relationships those face-to-face contact and those conversations those can really change people's minds like I've been able to talk to people about you know why I support a Medicare for all or Green New Deal um, or like $2,000 like monthly COVID relief checks um, because those things sound like far-fetched to people but I'm like this is your money like and this money is being spent on endless war, but it could be being spent on the things that we're talking about. Like they're not far-fetched, they're not impossible. And I think you have to like, we just, we all together have to like get off like these hard horses on like Twitter, Facebook. And instead of like, cause I see a lot of um, like, okay, there are people whose minds can be changed on these issues, um, but we just don't engage with them in like a conversational way. It becomes like, oh, you're just another one of like the establishments like we can't dismiss and write people off especially if they're like working class um we're gonna have to take time and it's not gonna happen in one conversation but it'll happen over time um and we're just it's 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 there's a lot to it yeah I'm doing where I can like there's only so much of like a reach that I have um but I'm trying to translate it more especially to like older more moderate folks that I work with um trying to help them see like why I see another better world as possible and it doesn't just have to be like you know fixing up what we have here it has to be like a complete restructuring and transformation um and maybe it's because I'm younger or because I've been through the things I have but sharing my story about like incarceration about flooding um about all of these things I think it helps people see it because maybe they haven't experienced those things um so I think it's a lot of conversations. Uh, You and I are having a conversation, but then we're going to go back to organizing in our communities um, and making these issues um, understandable to um, people who don't watch like CNN and MSNBC and the Bird Road podcast, like who have, you know, just don't have the time because they're tired after working a long day. Um, And voting is is kind of like just a chore they have to do every four years in their mind. So we have to make it um we have to make it accessible yeah i mean that that's true there's there's an enthusiasm gap our side is asking people to like take part in this like solemn democratic institution and the other side is asking people to basically go to like the boomer version of coachella they're loving it they're having fun and i think that we can close that enthusiasm gap with uh younger uh candidates of the future people who are representative of the future people like you um so you can follow sabrina at j vejana on Twitter, where, what else can people do to sort of stay stay involved and follow this, um, you know, this the the movement as it um, continues to sort of coalesce? What, what, where else would you send people? In Broward, if you're in Broward, there's the Black Lives Matter Alliance of Broward County. Um, there's groups like SAU doing protests, um, but mostly I'd say like BLM Broward um, because they're involved at, in legislation, they're involved electorally, they're involved. In organizing aspects, like they're doing everything. So Black Lives Matter Alliance Broward. A good point that um, Rep- Representative Escamani made um, that is true is if you have the bandwidth, you can also locate, uh, uh, sorry, get in touch with your county DEC, your uh, Democratic ele- yeah. uh, ele- Executive Committees, and you can usually like kind of weasel your way in. Um, if you just like go in and tell them like, hey, I have 10 hours of my life a week that I can devote to something, you can usually probably, you know, get a pretty prominent position and try to change the tenor of a lot of those county level conversations. Oh, yeah. And they're much more receptive to it usually than the state level is. So uh, I see that's what happened in Miami-Dade. They, yeah. they 
they made some changes in their leadership and they've passed all these resolutions and bylaw changes and organizing and door-to-door programs. Broward, we're not there yet, but like you said, we're going to be having a reorg meeting, electing a new chair and all these officers in December who are then going to be voting on the new state party chair in January. So all these little reverberations, but um, yeah, get involved in your local DEC. That's kind of how, what happened with me. I weaseled my way in. Um, just like literally started inviting myself to stuff and then people just kind of like accepted I was there and now I get to have a voice like voting on different measures and resolutions. Um, so we also as the left need to infiltrate these spaces because they're for us too yep. um, and we should have our voices um, heard there too. Let's stage our own coups. Sabrina, thanks for coming <laughs> on Bird Road. Thank you so much, David. Have a great one.